When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. You're listening to a Score North podcast right now, and if you're a business owner, so are your customers. In fact, I could be talking about your business right now, telling the tens of thousands of loyal fans about you and sending them to your business. Find out how you can partner with your favorite Score North podcast. Visit scorenorth.com now and enter keyword partner. Fill out the form, and we'll get in touch with you quickly. Once Phil, Judd, Declan, or others start talking about your company, you'll be amazed at how many fans start showing up. So visit scorenorth.com now and enter keyword partner. TCL is a proud sponsor of the Score North Studios. TCL, America's fastest growing TV brand. It's Purple Daily. He's a smart guy. Um, you know, a lot of a lot of similarities with the two positions. So we've had a lot of safeties play nickel in the past. Mike Zimmer so enthusiastic to talk about Anderson Dejo playing the nickel, but uh, Anderson Dejo, one of the key parts of the Vikings win over New Orleans. And if someday we're talking about the Vikings as Super Bowl champions, we will probably end up talking about him a lot. ESPN's Courtney Cronin on the phone today from TCO Performance Center with some ESPN duties to do today. Um, Courtney, Mackenzie Alexander to have surgery. Now Anderson Dejo has the chance to become that of... Uh, a legend to some extent with Vikings fans if they go deep in the playoffs here. Yeah, and I think that there's something to be you know considered here too that maybe Sandejo plays that role somewhat. Uh, you know he'll be uh, looked at as a nickel here, but I wouldn't completely rule out Jaron Curse. I mean, you think about George Kittle and you think about the intense matchup challenges that that presents. I tweeted out some stats last night because I went back and looked. Um, you know, just how successful he was against linebackers. He caught 84% of his targets uh, when a linebacker was the nearest defender in coverage that maybe maybe you roll with a big nickel package here, Matthew. I mean, maybe you kind of split some time between both Sandejo and J. Ron Kers, um, you know, to try to defend Kittle because he's certainly, when he's on the field, they are a different team because they didn't have him in some of those games, uh, you know, in November and December, I believe, because of injuries. So, I mean, they, they need him. Uh, and he really is, uh, you know, I think their most versatile offensive weapon. So in the, in you know your your secondary, you're probably going to have to get pretty creative with what you're asking guys to do. Well, the, the job that Sendejo did the other day against Michael Thomas, who lines up in the slot all the time, was spectacular. But what's weird about Michael Thomas, Courtney? Don't you agree that? He is a strangely good matchup for the Vikings. Mike Zimmer loves his tall corners, his physical players, and and the Vikings did a great job of tackling him. He wasn't able to get yards after catch. The receivers for the 49ers, and then George Kittle added. A, George Kittle, very, very difficult to tackle, not as easy as a wide receiver. And then the receivers that the 49ers have, especially Emmanuel Sanders, are great route runners, and they're really quick. And so if you're moving quicker guys into that slot position for the offense, I think that becomes a much tougher task in a strange way, because I know we're saying tougher than Michael Thomas, but matchup-wise, it might be harder. 
Yeah, I mean, like, depending upon where they throw Debo Samuel, who is incredibly fast, like, that to me is one of the scariest matchups out there. Um, like, they have a lot of weapons. And Emmanuel Sanders, like you saw, again, like, what does that offense look like when it's at full health? It looks a lot different than it did in that Seattle game, uh, the first Seattle game, not the one that uh, the 49ers won to get the one seed. I mean, they have a lot of speed with their with their receivers and their tight end too. I mean, George Kittle is you know an incredible. He's your definition of an F tight end because you can move him around, you can do a lot of different things with them. So I kind of wonder from the size matchup too. I mean, J. Ron Curse is six four. Um, lateral movement in, in trying to you know run with these guys and, and stick with your spot receivers. I mean, that's not exactly an easy task. And I remember we talked to him about that at points throughout the season. So maybe that's a better matchup for someone like Andrew Sandejo. It's just so interesting to me, though, because honestly, like I kind of, what I took away from Mike Zimmer's press conference was kind of like almost like a slight on the nickel position. Like we have been told, because I've never played it and I don't believe you have either. <laughs> no, I have just not. Like how, fre- how freaking difficult that position is where it's like, Someone explained it once where you're directing traffic in traffic. I think it's like you're dodging it. Like, however, there's an incredible, like, great metaphor for it of just how difficult it is because you're looking for your help. You're trying to figure out where you're supposed to help. Uh, you have a million responsibilities as opposed to an outside corner or boundary corner. And um, Mike Zimmer said, yeah, it's not really any different. I mean, that's why it was so seamless, allegedly, for Anderson Dejo to step in there. Um, and I think that's more just a safety playing corner. Playing, playing in the slot because it's different than if you were to put, like, I don't know, one of their other corners, like Effie Holton Hill to do that, I don't think would be a great, uh, you know, a great matchup. He's never done it before. So, like, that to me, it's just like when I heard that yesterday, I was kind of like, are we, like, dumbing down the nickel position, which is the most important position in the secondary? Like, I, I don't know. That's how I kind of took it. Yeah, I'm not sure exactly how to read that comment. It seemed more that he didn't want to say a whole lot about what they did there. I mean, to, right? Probably the, not. Probably not. He, he just didn't want to go into a big, long thing about, well, here's how we made that decision, and here's why it worked, and on and on and on, in a week like this where they're trying not to give a single shred of anything to work with for the San Francisco 49ers, because I agree with you that it is an incredibly difficult position and there aren't too many people who can do it well. Mackenzie Alexander has needed three years to figure it out. It's not just go out there and shut down that guy or run up and down that sideline and, of course, learn a lot of assignments along the way, but the run fits to it. You have to kind of play linebacker there, and I think that's why they went with Anderson Dejo because starting with the run game in New Orleans, that's where the defense was so good. They did not allow Elvin Kamara to run. They didn't allow Latavius Murray to run, and it helps to have a safety up there and have sort of a big nickel type of package. But I don't think we're going to see J. Ron Curse at this point in the game. It's, you really not? Okay. No, I, I don't because okay. I think it's the guys that Zimmer believes in. I think it's the guys that he trusts, and they brought back Sandejo because he trusts him, and that's kind of why he's on the field right now. But what do you think, Courtney, of this matchup between Mike Zimmer and Kyle Shanahan? I I really liked it with Sean Payton and Mike Zimmer because you have two legends there. But Shanahan, I don't know if this is a hot take or not, I think Shanahan is number one in the NFL in terms of offensive minds, offensive creativity. And I wasn't overly impressed with what Sean Payton dialed up, but I think I'm going to be when we get out there to Santa Clara. Yeah, and I think that there's something to be said, too, just about the long lineage of football uh, systems that he comes from. And we just got off a conference call with him, and, you know, everybody kind of wants to categorize and put his offense into a box, the offense that, you know, he and Sean McVay run. And, and he was asked about it 
where, you know, it's tough to do that because, yeah, from a verbiage standpoint, it's a West Coast offense, but what they do honestly changes from opponent to opponent. Like, I remember watching a few 49ers games this year, and the offense that we saw in the Seattle game, uh, in, in the Saints game, and then I think I saw them against the Rams as well. I mean, like, there's they change to their personnel. They change the type of defensive lines that they have to go up against um, if they're able to, you know, be like, for, for example, with Minnesota. Like, they've got Dalvin Cook. He can bounce outside. They know that their strength in the defensive line is their interior pass rush um, and, and, you know, and being able to stop guys who try to run up the middle on them. Like, so how are they going to change to try to make sure that these outside runs don't end up becoming 30, 40-yard games? Like, that to me is what Kyle Shanahan was talking about Um you know, just in like terms of like the overall system, because I feel like they do it defensively too. They kind of can change their identity. But back to your original point of like, you know, him is like this offensive mind. I mean, it's a melding of systems. Like what, what Gary is running here, Shanahan said, is kind of like what it's, it's his dad's offense. It's Mike Shanahan's offense. And you can see kind of some of the similarities, I think, from if you went back and like saw Denver back uh, when those two were working together. And I think that that's what they brought um, you know, that's what they brought here this year. Like, that is what Kirk Cousins, like that's the type of system that's bringing out the best in Kirk Cousins right now. So to me, it's interesting because you have two teams that, A, are run first. They're more balanced than anybody else in the NFL, but they do a lot of the similar things. Like they use a fullback. They, um, you know, are under center a lot. Like they use a ton of play action. Like it is going to be really interesting to see how those two look kind of side by side. Cause I'm wondering, I'm wondering seeing them in the same place. Like, is it going to look like a mirror show it? Like you're showing a mirror each time each offense is on the field. If that makes sense. Yeah. And you bring up the running game and it's very similar for these two teams, the type of yardage they put up, but and very different in how they get there with, uh, I mean, the system, yes, yeah, the zone and, and so forth, but with three guys for the 49ers rushing between 500 and 1,000 yards, and with the Vikings, the attention is all completely on Delvin Cook. And Delvin, I won't say got defensive, but sort of today about talking about getting injured against the Denver Broncos and then again against the the. Uh, Seattle Seahawks, he said, I was banged up, not injured. Like, okay, whatever that means. Potato, potato at this point. I think he's frustrated. And I actually, I know you and I talked about this. I was in New Orleans, and I saw him leaving the locker room, um, and I yelled. I was like, hey, like, next time someone asks you for a percentage of how healthy you are, give a really arbitrary number. (laughs) I was going to say seven. I found out his number he was going to give was 72%. That would have been perfect. That would have been great. I told him he has to add a decimal in there. It has to be like 72.334%. Like, um, but I mean, I just think honestly he's tired of talking about it because we saw how good that offense is with him in it. I think it's probably even better if he's even half healthy. It shows you just the importance of that he plays in this scheme and how he's able to bring this offense to life at times where you might doubt that that might be possible, which I think is why when you look at this matchup, he's so critically important to start the run game and just kind of rip off some of those big outside runs uh, that we saw several of in the Superdome because they're typically not very good coming off the edge. I mean, they're not awful, um, but it kind of just depends. Like, you know, they don't have the same type of speed, I think, with that unit. I mean, they're very good interior defensive linemen. Like, that's their bread and butter. And obviously it depends kind of where you're putting Nick Bosa and things like that, but that should be – uh, since they're not giving us any shred of what they want to do, which you can respect, 
uh, in a playoff week, like that to me would be the first thing that I'm looking at as I'm thinking about how is this defense going to stop the Vikings. So, um, yeah, all right, let's let's go on that side though. I mean, when it comes to uh, the, you know the San Francisco 49ers defense, they are absolutely stacked on the defensive line. They've got a lot of guys who can get after the passer. Nick Bosa is great. But they lost their nose tackle to injury, and it could be a little bit easier to run against them. They've looked a lot more human of late. So, Mm -hmm. I I mean, are are we looking at the 49ers' defense as kind of vulnerable here, or could it be that you know Kyle Shanahan has such great knowledge and they have a number of players who are very good? I saw that Kawan Alexander looks like he might play at, at linebacker, and Richard Sherman is still on this team and has a week to be healthy. Um, I wonder who you think has the advantage there. Of of which group on defense, they, or Vikings offense versus San Francisco 49ers defense? Are we? Ta- I'm talking about the 49ers defense against the Vikings offense. Okay, yeah, that's what I was asking. Um, well, if they, it's hard. Honestly, it's really hard to look at Kirk Cousins and, and see what he did in the Superdome and say, and, and not like, you know, look at that and be like, that is a huge threat. However you, you know, whoever you're going against, that's a huge threat, no matter how good the defense is. But I think this defensive line, like, you know, the fact that we heard nothing essentially from Cam Jordan the other day, um, outside of what, like a few tackles here and there, like he was kind of rendered ineffective uh, by and large throughout that game. And it's, like, okay, use that game plan on Nick Bosa. Use that game plan on, you know, however you're going to block, you know, DeForest Buckner, Eric Armstead. Like, you do that. Like, I mean, that that to me is just like the way that if, if this is typically going to be a game of defensive line play um, from both teams, that's what I would at least look at. But, I mean, to me, it starts again with the run. Like you saw how effective they were early on in New Orleans with Dalvin Cook and try, because they had so few play action attempts. I think he was like six of eleven on play action throws, um, and that's because they they took that away pretty pretty seamlessly, or at least they were able to stifle it by and large. But um, you know, I think it starts with Dalvin. And yes, teams have now against a very good team in the NFC. Like they've got film on what what worked to get. You know, Dalvin had negative two yards in the second half. Like, they clearly adjusted. But I think at some point that's going to wear you down no matter how good your defensive line is because, you know, even some of the best run-defending teams this year, like Dallas at the time that, you know, remember when they played down there and we thought, okay, they're going to try to sell out the way that the Vikings did to stop Zeke? I mean, they certainly didn't. And it wasn't like he, like, went off. I mean, he had a tremendous game, but it's not like he had, you know, 200 yards rushing. Um, like they did, he did a really good job being able to still kind of keep that part of their game active, whether it's, you know, the non-traditional way that you, I guess you would think of using Dalvin cook and maybe utilizing a little bit more on, you know, swing passes and trying to force things outside. Like that, that is, I think probably where the Vikings can win this game, not just, um, you know, I mean, those throws that Kirk Cousins made in just the third down play calling itself, I think, was terrific. But some of that, too, I think is a breakdown on the other side of the defense that allows you to be that successful. Matthew Collar, ESPN's Courtney Cronin here on Purple Daily. You're usually in studio, but instead, guess what? We're going to do hot routes without you. 
uh, next segment. Uh, so, yeah, well, that'll... why it's not it's not my fault that they that you got that they like changed up the schedule on us and they smushed everything into a few days. I know, I know, you're not being penalized. We just you know had to move on yeah, without you. It's like when someone gets hurt and it's the next man up. So that's going to be Phil Mackey with hot routes when uh, it, at two uh, thirty oh, here. Phil's filling in for me. Okay, yeah, that's cool. Filling in. <clears throat> Okay, ah, uh, great, let's let's great. move forward quickly after that to Kevin Stefanski, and he is going to interview on Thursday with the Cleveland Browns. Now, I have been informed by our friend Dave Campbell of the Associated Press that it, he has to do it now. So I've got a few emails on this. Well, why is it happening yeah. now? Couldn't it happen another time? Well, if you win, then it can't happen until after the Super Bowl, so it has to happen now. I guess my hope and the, Brown, and the Browns want to uh, just to real quick. Adam Schefter reported this morning the Browns want to finalize this by Saturday, so they've got several interviews. Josh McDaniels is I think tomorrow. Um, uh, Stefanski is on Thursday. I think they've got somebody else in there. McDaniels is Friday. Jim Schwartz is tomorrow. The Eagles' defensive coordinator, and so they already have Eric Bieniemy, Greg Roman, Robert Sala. Um, so that's six different candidates they're going to have to work through by the end of the day, Friday. And so if they want to have a deal in place by Saturday, it makes sense. Not just for the standpoint of waiting till after the Super Bowl, even though there are some good candidates out there. Right. Yeah. So they have to do it now. And, uh, if you're Kevin Stefanski, you've got to take the shot. And if you're Mike Zimmer, you've got to let him take the shot. Zimmer had to wait a really, really long time to get a head coaching job himself. So it wouldn't make a lot of sense for him, or it would be a pretty bad look for him to hold back Stefanski from interviewing, especially when he kept Stefanski from interviewing for offensive coordinator jobs a few years ago, which turned out to be a very good decision for Zimmer, considering what the offense has done now. But I don't know. I mean, do you look at this like, well, it's pretty common leading up to a playoff game? Or, hey, Kevin, I hope you didn't delete your notes about what you said when you interviewed for them last year because he became he came very close to getting that job with Cleveland last year. And he's just going to have to fit it in this week somewhere between game planning on a short week and having to play on a Saturday. Look, I mean, unless the NFL league-wide wants to implement rules where nobody can talk to anybody on playoff teams until after the Super Bowl, this is what you're dealt. Like, I know um, there are a lot of fans who are pretty irritated at the fact that he's getting an interview this week. I don't think they're upset about him being a hot, you know, a hot head coaching candidate. We knew that for weeks, and you know, he's had a handful of really big games to use as interview material or resume material. But I think it's just the fact that hey. They have to travel 2,000 miles, uh, and they have to go to San Francisco and win there in order for them to, like, keep on in this thing. And I think that's the hard part where, you know, you look at this and you're like, can you have any more distractions possible? Like, you already have, like, the odds stacked against you just in terms of being a six seed. And then you have to add in all of this travel. And then beyond that, your, your offensive coordinator could potentially be named that next head coach of the Cleveland Browns, like when you're getting ready to go play the 49ers. Like, that's a lot of noise to block out. Like, I asked Kirk about kind of some of the distractions last week you know, with Zimmer and the statement that came out from the Wilfs backing him. And on top of that, just, you know, everything else, the rumor mill circling, et cetera, et cetera. And he's like, oh, well, you know, I didn't really notice it. We don't notice it. I'm like, kind of like want to call their bluff on that. Yeah, I th- I th- Zimmer noticed it because Zimmer brought it up on Zimmer TV after they won. Br- yes, and he was bringing it up. And, like, there were guys post-game, other players who, you know, just talked about staying locked in and, and all this. And, like, on top of the fact that 
Remember what happened two years ago when they were all focused on it was so hard for them to put the miracle game in the rearview mirror? Well, like that is also kind of playing into it this week where it's like getting off of a high the of a playoff win mm-hmm. the way that they did this week. I mean, that's a huge win, but they, there's always kind of a hangover with that. So it's just, to me, like it's it's all of this stuff kind of compounding in one thing where it feels like it's stacking the odds against them even more to go to San Francisco and win. Mm-hmm. And so I can, I can understand the frustrations from that standpoint. I thought they rewrote history on that one, and I'm sure that they would all tell me different about that miracle game and then coming down off of that. And I think Sam Bradford in our interview last week even implied that they didn't have great practices that week. But I think yeah. I think it goes under the well. We're not really making excuse, but but yeah. Well, all right. Well, you also could have just beaten the Saints, and you didn't have to let them come back from seventeen points in that game anyway. Put that aside. It's always sort of annoyed me that we asked them that day, did it play a factor? No way. How dare you guys say that? And then everything in hindsight was, uh, yeah, I guess it kind of did. I don't know. I I don't think that that is an excuse. However, I would say that today, Courtney, I woke up from my travel and my time in New Orleans. I woke up feeling like, Boy, I am pretty exhausted from the trip that we just had to make down there and the tension of that game and, and how long we were all in the press box after and then on and on and on. And just, it was, uh, I'm not complaining. I'm just saying that the stress of travel, the, tr- the stress of a game with a massive amount of tension and noise and everything that happened. How hard do you think it will be for them to just get right back up and go to another tough place? I think there's a reason why we rarely see teams go from having to travel in the first round to making it deep in the playoffs. Yeah, I mentioned this on NFL Live earlier. Like they are literally getting the full six seed experience. Like you have to go win in the most like notoriously difficult place for opposing teams to win. Um, and then it's like, okay, cool, great. Like, now we have to go do it again. And I'm not saying Levi's is that intimidating. Like, I think it's got some atmosphere. It's not great. I covered games out there for two years. So, um, but, you know, I, I look at that where it's just like, this is why you don't want to be the sixth seed. This is why you want to handle your business and try to win the division. And why, you know, when we do have the argument of, uh, like, should should we do away with division winners so you don't get, like, a – seven and nine teams somehow winning their division going to the playoffs. Like I say no, because like winning your division puts you in a situation where you don't have to do this because it just makes the road that much harder. And that's why we just don't see that many teams ever get out of the fifth or sixth seed where they have to go on the road, the entire playoffs. Um, Like, this is, you know, before, Matt, we're going to be talking about this next week. If they win in San Francisco, then we're going to be talking about going to Green Bay or Seattle and just how exhausted it. Like, they would be praying it'd be Green Bay because it's a 45-minute flight versus another four-hour flight out there. Like, I think there's absolutely something to be said about the fatigue and just the travel. And, you know, let's not, fact, let's not forget to factor in, like, these guys are playing football. They're not all healthy at this point. Like, right. you know, I was joking about the Dalvin Cook thing and the percentage, but – like, that's for real. Like, these guys are, you know, they're lucky that they still have their their core of starters out there, uh, the same core they started the season with. But they're, you know, healthy enough. Like, that's what you need to put it at. But it's just like, think about, it'll be interesting to see out of practice, like, who's injured, who's on the injured report. They're already down Mackenzie Alexander. Um, and, and that, to me, is, uh, you know, that's something to keep an eye on because it's tiring. Um, Courtney, last thing for you for today. Uh, is everything that you reported last week 
is stuff that other reporters heard, that I heard, national reporters have put out there, including your cohort, Dan Graziano, about the pressure inside of the organization, the things that might change if it went wrong. And I wrote last week, what if they win? Now is everybody just happy and that's it? Um, They won. So what's the feeling now about where everyone stands toward their future from the coach to the quarterback to the general manager? I would not be surprised if Mike Zimmer gets an extension and done soon. Um, that type of win and the stakes that came with that and what the Wilfs said in their statement in a calculated timing of that, they, didn't, they could have just ignored the reports and the rumors and all that, but the fact that they felt so compelled to put that statement out Friday at 3 p.m. local time, um, that to me just kind of screams like, hey, this is what they needed to see. Like, this was their guy all along. And since the Cowboys already hired Mike McCarthy, uh, there's there's no real place for Mike Zimmer to go right now. Right. So I could see that happening. Um, I think an extension for Kirk Cousins. Like, look, like um, I've been critical of Kirk. I'm sure that there are people listening right now who are, you know, among the uh, people who criticize on Twitter and say that we flip-flop our opinion on it. Like, the one thing I will put my damn foot down on, I have said all along, what does he need to do? He needs to go show that he can do the one thing he has not done in his career, and that is win a playoff game. He did that. It wasn't like he backed his way into that win or they had to rely on a big defensive stop from Daniil Hunter or Everson Griffin to win that game. That was Kirk in overtime, going four or five for 63 yards and a touchdown with, you know, six guys coming at his throat. So to me, it becomes Zimmer extension, Kirk extension. Um, the Stefanski stuff is still, I think, up in the air. Like If he gets that job then in Cleveland, then I think that you're looking at possibly Clint Kubiak, the quarterback coach, mm-hmm. getting pushed into the offensive coordinator position. Gary stays on staff. Family's happy. Uh, all of you know everybody. All the pieces can stay unless there unless there are guys who do not sign their rollover and could leave with Kevin Stefanski. Like that's the thing people forget about. Like coaches can hire their own staff, so we'd have to figure out which pieces would may not return if that does happen. But it do, it doesn't the paradigm shift. The potential paradigm shift with this team was so exhausting where it's like it's either Armageddon or everything's fine and everybody's getting extensions. Like, it's so drastic. And and that's the thing that I think really puts, like, a stress factor on this where, you know, that's not – it doesn't feel normal for the stakes to be, like, literally so hot and cold. Courtney Cronin, ESPN. Uh, You can watch for her on the TV on ESPN, giving updates throughout the week. That's why you're at TCO Performance Center and not in studio with us. And uh, we will probably connect again at some point throughout this week as we get closer and we learn more going into this game against San Francisco. So thank you for your time, Courtney. Appreciate you. Thank you for having me. Have fun with Hot Routes. Hot Routes. Alex Boone's going to join for Hot Routes, too. What's that? I said Alex is going to join too. So Alex, me, we're just going to have a great time, great party here without you. Enjoy doing whatever you do. Yeah, I'm trying. Well, tell Phil not to screw it up for me. <laughs> All right, see you later, Courtney. Bye. All right, Courtney Cronin. There, you can follow her on ESPN uh, on the TV, and then uh, of course on Twitter, Courtney R. Cronin, always tweeting out the updates from TCO Performance Center and so forth. So yeah, hot routes coming up next. Take a quick break. Phil Mackey will come in, Alex Boone as well, and we will be right back on Score North. Football fans, it's Mackey here for Federated Insurance. You might not know this about me, but I've been a business owner a couple different times in my life. I can relate to the roller coaster ride, the never-ending sea of problems to solve, the exhilaration of those incremental wins. If you're a business owner, I recommend getting to know Federated, which has over a century of experience in protecting businesses and making them as successful as they can 
can be. You want a company like Federated standing behind your business. Visit federatedinsurance.com to find your local representative. Federated Mutual Insurance Company. It's our business to protect yours. Jonathan here with the Score North download. Score North is all in for Vikings 49ers. Join Mackie and Judd for a special pregame show beginning Saturday at 1 p.m. leading up to kickoff. Plus, Vikings Vent Line taking your calls immediately after the game and a three-hour special aftermath show on Sunday morning at 9 a.m. Watch the game anywhere. Talk about it here on Score North, scorenorth.com, and the free Score North mobile app. Mike Zimmer talking to the media yesterday, talking about his O-line. Had only allowed two sacks on Kirk Cousins on Sunday, saying... I thought I thought that uh, Kirk had a lot of time to throw the ball most of the time. Um, you know, he, he, the one sack he took late in the ball game, we, we actually told him if it's not there, take a sack so we can keep the clock running. Um, <clears throat> uh, but uh, I thought they did a nice job in the running game for the most part. You know, they got a good, solid defensive line. That's been your Score North Download. Now back to Purple Daily. Caller has questions. Blue 58! Blue 58! Go! And he wants your answers. Street! Red, red, red! Red Polly! Blue Poncho! In rapid fire fashion. Gun flex right stack. 394 Dragon Smoke. It's Hot Routes on Purple Daily. 588! 397! Real quick before we get into it, they're showing on, uh, what is this, ESPN or is this NFL Network right now, the Bills in. Texans game and the punter's name is Anger oh. and I just couldn't help thinking what I feel every time a team punts on fourth and two at the other <laughs> team's forty. It's just anger. Like yes, I agree with you, punter man. So, um, so when so when his special teams coordinator or coach has to come in and maybe mold a few things, is that called anger management for the Texans? All right, there we go. That's there right. we go. That's right. Uh, Phil Mackey in studio now, as you can tell from that, and uh, Alex Boone as well, who was so desperate to get in on hot routes, can't miss it. Dialed in early so wow. let's get it going jonathan with the nfl music i have related questions to only the vikings and 49ers too important today to be going around the league and let us get it right started with our first hot route i want you guys to pick an all-time offense quarterback running back and two receivers just those positions for the 49ers but you cannot use steve young joe montana jerry rice or terrell wow Lyons. this is great this is great and well it's easy for alex boone because he'll probably just pick all of his teammates from <laughs> Super Bowl year. So predictable. No, I won't. But I've got I've got a couple questions. Like, are we? Can I can I pick? Well, I'm I'm gonna pick, and then you tell me if I'm doing this wrong. Okay, I'm gonna pick peak Jeff Garcia as my quarterback. Sure, yeah, you can pick that. I don't want like the bad Jeff Garcia. I want peak thirty year old yeah. Jeff Garcia. Yep. Who was like for two years, and it helps to throw to Jerry Rice and Terrell Owens, by the way. But for two years, he was one of the best quarterbacks in the NFL. Running back. So many options, and I know who Boone's going to pick. Oh, yeah, so I'm going to go away there's from a, Boone's. There's a pick. bunch of good ones, though. I'm going to go with Garrison Hurst oh, as my it. running love back. It. Great pick. That's a good one. Garrison Hurst in 1998 had uh, 5.1 yards per attempt, which led the NFL. 1,500 yards rushing, and he caught 40 passes. Uh, Garrison Hurst. Yeah, is my he was back. a good player. Who's your uh, receiver? Receivers get a little gets a little bit tough. I'm gonna go. I'm gonna give a historical nod to Dwight Clark for for catching one of the most famous passes of all time, and I'm gonna go JJ Stokes as my other receiver. Oh, okay. Just all a right. random '90s 49ers receiver, JJ Stokes. Good poll. How about you, Alex Boone? So for quarterback, I mean, if I were putting together the most perfect offense, I would have to go with Colin Kaepernick at quarterback. Mm-hmm. His style of play. I mean, even now, look what Lamar Jackson's doing. To everybody, I mean, just shredding teams. 
Everybody knows who I'm going to pick at running back. Obviously, be Frank Gore. But <laughs> I, I would have to say a, a, like a really close second would be Roger Craig. Like just yeah. the way he played the oh, game, absolutely, dude. The hundred hundred thing, like that forever will be like, dude. You are really, really cool. And thousand, I just thousand, former yeah. Viking, former Viking, yeah, thousand, yeah. thousand. People overlook that. Like what you can do, not only as a running back when you can run the ball, but when you can catch it out of the backfield, dude, you become a whole different weapon. Like that's incredible. Uh, receiver. You know, I kind of I was talking to John before the segment. I was like, "Listen, I kind of want to go with Vernon Davis pre-concussion in Seattle, like when Vernon used to be the dude that would like jump up and just shred dudes." And I mean, like I'd seen him practice all the time against Patrick Willis, Navarro Bowman, guys that were really like he would just manhandle these dudes. He was so good, and then he took that hit from Cam up in Seattle. And I, to be honest, with you, I just don't think he was ever the same after that. And I don't blame him because that was a vicious hit. But if I had to go with another receiver, I would obviously got to give a lot of credit to Dwight Clark. He was a great guy, and what he did for that team was awesome. The catch was so great. And you know what, dude? He had such a great personality, too. Like He was one of those guys you could talk to about anything. He was super funny. But I think I'm going to have to go with George Kittle because this dude is hes incredible, dude. And I love watching him play and what he does for his team like Kendricks does for the Vikings. Like He's just that guy. What J.J. Watt does for the Texans. like He's just that guy that he's... He doesn't even have to catch a ball. He's just fun to watch because he's run blocking and knocking dudes out of the way. And the way he sells out for his team, I think that's really cool. couple of tight ends. How about you, Jonathan? It's an offense that you can't pick. Montana, Young, or um, Jerry Rice, or Terrell Owens. Well, I'm going to start off with quarterback. I'd have I have an old boss who would be mad at me if I didn't choose Y.A. Tittle as my quarterback. So <laughs> oh my I'm going to go Y.A. Tittle here. Someone was going years. Y.A. Tittle. What, I knew it. What does the Y.A. stand for? Uh, Do we know? Yavarius. Yelp. Oh, no. <laughs> Yelberton Abraham Tittle. What? Yes. I'm not even kidding. Yelberton? Yes. Yelberton. I'm not even kidding about YA. that. That's what pro football reference. Y.A. <laughs> That's incredible. Yelberton. Definitely his a good nickname, choice. His nickname his, was Old Reliable. I mean, how can you not choose that guy as your quarterback? <laughs> his, his marketing team would have had a tough time with Yelberton or whatever it was. <laughs> what do you Yelby advertise baby, with? Yelberton. <laughs> the Yelb. Yelb. Uh, Frank Gore is the running back, just as ever, everything Alex Boone said there. Uh, and then my two wide receivers, Crabtree and Bolden, those two were just mm. so good at just doing different yep. things as wide, rece- mm. as wide receivers, but they were fun to watch. All right. I'm going to go quarterback. He did not play for the 49ers for very long, but had some good stints with Kansas City, so he counts. Elvis Gerback. I knew, I knew you were going Elvis Gerback. Elvis Gerback. You got to get a journeyman in there. And uh, since Boone picked Kaepernick, well, then I'll go with El- old Elvis Gerback. Ricky Waters at the running back yeah. position. Pre-Philadelphia Eagles, the guy was a monster. And at wide receiver, this one is tough, but nobody picked John Taylor. I think you have to pick John Taylor. 1,000-yard season in 1989, one of the biggest catches ever. And since you guys picked the tight ends, I'm going to go with a burner. You are not going to beat this guy in a 40-yard dash. And if we need to go deep, we could do it. Marquise Goodwin, the fastest guy I've ever seen on a football field. When he caught a touchdown, he used to play for the Bills. Also, finished second once in the Pan Am games long jumping. Amazing. So I will take my deep threat and my possession guy <laughs> for my two receivers. What? No love for Alex Smith? No love for Alex Smith, the quarterback. Yeah, huh? I, well, a couple thought, nice rejuvenated years. I thought you would take Alex Smith. I thought about it. It's just I wouldn't take yeah. Alex Smith. I would take <laughs> Alex Smith. <laughs> Alright, next question. The Minnesota Vikings pulled off a huge upset in 1987. I was one. Uh, Alex, were you what one, two, uh, maybe? Even, yeah, not, not even. You were a conversation over drinks yeah. with yep. parents. So, is what you were. Uh, I know Jonathan and what Phil were you? I was were two. Around two. I was okay, two. Okay, so yeah. you remember it well. Um, 
How far back <laughs> do you guys think is too far to discuss a famous game between the two teams? I think 1987 is too far back when most of the people who are like established in media business like we are at our ages who are discussing these games, if it's before we were three, then it's hard to be like, redemption for the 49ers? I don't know. (laughs) Uh, I think it's too far back. And I want you instead, if you disagree with me, make your case. But instead, give me a famous 49ers game that you want to talk about. And it doesn't have to be against the Vikings. It can be against anybody. I'll give you one because we're just a couple months past the 10-year anniversary of this. I'll give you a 49ers-Vikings game. The Favre to Greg Lewis game. Ooh, yeah. I think wow. that's the more relevant Niners 49ers contest in uh, in our primes here, anyways. That was. Now, I wasn't inside the Metrodome for the 1991 World Series, so I don't have that reference point like our Judd Zolgad does or other people. But as far as loudest crowd pops I've ever heard at a sporting event, it's top three. The yeah. roof, one year before it actually fell off, the roof <laughs> blew off of. The Metrodome. I mean, it was like a 35-yard pass. Favre rolling to his right, got smoked on the play. Yes, and like their fifth their fifth wide receiver, Greg Lewis, is First play of the game, right? He, he hadn't been in the game before that? Correct. Yeah, he came in. Uh, Sage Rosenfels tells this whole story on a Rewind episode, if you guys want to find it via podcast. But uh, just like at, at live speed, it was, wow, that's a great catch. But there's no way he got his feet down. And he did. And it sparked the Vikings to an NFC Championship run. And it was amazing. Uh, Alex, a 49ers game, you would know a few that you would yeah. rather talk about than 87 Vikings and 49ers. Dude, there's a game that nobody ever talks about, and we played the Falcons to go on to the Super Bowl, and we were down, like, I don't know, 10, 14 points at halftime. And I remember it was like, dude, this is either going to make or break us forever. And, like, we went out there and put up some awesome drives. We just went out, and I remember Navarro Bowman knocked the ball away. I think it was Julio Jones on, like, the five-yard line, and I swear to God, I never thought that a flag was going to come out, but this one time I was like, dude, he was all over. But the refs let it go. We ended up winning the game, going to the Super Bowl and losing. But it's one of those games that nobody ever talks about, but we fought so hard. Like, that was such a fun game. They had, they had a bunch of dudes on that team. Matt Ryan was throwing really well back then, too. I remember like this dude could cut us up, and he had the ball with like a minute and 30 to go. He ended up driving all the way down to the five, and Navarro knocked it out. I was like, oh, my God, this is incredible. Yeah, I, I remember that game pretty well and uh tony gonzalez still talks about that game i think as being like his he thought that Dude. was his shot yeah it was you can't the, the electricity in that stadium like we were down so much like they were just kicking the crap out of us we were like oh my god we went at halftime and craig roman like threw a chair through the wall <laughs> and was like you think it ends here it doesn't we still have to fly home and it was like oh man this could get rough like let's let's just go do what we got to do and we ended up like dude we ended up running some of the best plays like just downhill right at him and just ran him over and then vernon caught a bunch of huge passes on some great play actions that we had but man they were really they had us working that game too because they kept making us go 5-0 i remember the whole game like these guys are really smart that was like the first time it really opened my eyes to a team could make you do that the whole game and they were really good at it you mean uh you are the only five guys protecting offensive pretty much yeah you five on five like they showed up we were like dude they're gonna make us 5-0 the whole game and they did i am now the the boon translator like i've been (laughs) picking up enough here uh jonathan a 49ers game that you'd rather talk about mine was actually the game before the game that boone was talking about the one against the packers where colin kaepernick accounted for i think like 400 some odd yards and it was really the birth of the rpo thing that everybody's kind of latched onto now 
and it comes the week after the first 10 plays of the game for the Vikings against the Packers in the playoff, they use Joe Webb in the same exact way, and then they just completely abandoned it. Yeah, and I lost. remember that. Yep. Joe Webb is uh, Colin Kaepernick was used correctly for a couple yeah. of years, but Joe yeah. Webb had so much more potential if he would have come along like eight years later. I'm going to go 1999. The date is January 3rd. It is Favre, and it is Steve Young. And Steve Young is leading a game-winning drive. He throws to Jerry Rice. Jerry clearly fumbles. There's no question about it. They rule that he was down, which eventually forces us to bring back replay and ruin all of our lives for the next 20 years. (laughs) And then makes the throw to Terrell Owens, which is one of the great catches in the history of the sport. He gets demolished in the end zone, hangs on. One of Steve Young's great moments of him, uh, especially since, I mean, he had won the Super Bowl in 94, but there was a lot of talk. Is he done? Is it over? And then he comes out and does that. The next week they lost in in another close game to Atlanta uh, after Atlanta had beat someone else that, you know, nobody wants to talk about. But that game between the 49ers and Packers was one where it's right in the hot zone of being like early teens where you just love sports so much and that you remember all this stuff happening. That was an all-timer. Yeah, Terrell Owens crying as he walked off the field. Yes. It was one of the most iconic moments of the last 25 years or so. Uh, all right, our next question, the um, jersey matchup that you guys want to see for this game. It's two of the great jerseys in the sport, Vikings and San Francisco 49ers. I always put 49ers as the number one jersey in the NFL. But you can have any combination. So you can have any color pants. You can have, if you're really insane, uh, you can have the 49ers wear the black jersey. You could have the Vikings wear the color rush. You've got everything on the table here. All-time jerseys between these two teams. Match them up. Start Phil. Okay, so 1987 is a little too far back to have like a revenge game for the Niners, yeah. but it's not too far back for uniform combinations. I want the exact uniforms that were worn in the 1987 game between yes. the Vikings and the Niners. So the Vikings What's had the, the all-white uniforms with the, the giant yellow stripe down the side and on the shoulders with the, with the yellow the shoulder trim. pad stripe. It's amazing. Oh my god, I'm looking at it right now. And then, <laughs> and then the Niners the too. The, That's old, awesome. the old Vikings helmet is Was the just best. great. The best. Dark purple. Yeah. Uh, and then the Niners just had their their classic NFL films era 1980s red, and then the sort of the tan pants. They weren't really gold; they were tan pants. So I want the 1987 throwback uniforms for both. What do you want, uh, Alex? You know what? That that's a great combo, especially because I used to love the Niners old school with the the three rings all the way down. Like it was just super cool. But if I had to do it, I would do like new school. I would do the the color rush for the Vikings, the all purple, the dark purple. Yeah, and people, I would people love it. It's cool. dude, I love it. It's super cool, and I, I like how it's like get up with like you can do it with the shoes and the socks, make it look really sweet. But dude, even that with the Niners and their new whites with the the black that they added to it. Dude, it makes it look so cool. So I would say Vikings in all purple and then the Niners in all white. I think Pat Williams was the one who decided, because Pat Williams was like 370 pounds, and he Huge. just he didn't like the way that he looked in the all purples. It's like Barney the Dinosaur trying yeah. to yeah. you know clog up the, the offensive line. So I it's think, a sore subject right now. And Brad, so. it, yeah, and, <laughs> the Barney thing. And, and Brad Childress, uh, Brad Childress was like, like the, the team basically used the purple uniforms as a way to spite Brad Childress 10 years ago. So, But they're, they're bringing it back, and I like it. Jonathan? I think mine's pretty similar to Boone's. I mean, there's this this 49ers jersey I have on my on my laptop. Oh, yeah, here. the white. Oh, the white. The all white. That's what I'm going with. The red Which lettering. One? The Deion Sanders era. Yeah, the yeah. Deion Sanders era. The red lettering and then the the black like shadow to it. That's yeah. what makes it yeah. so cool. I yeah. love that black shadow yes. to it. So that jersey for the 49ers and then just, I think, the 70s home, the 70s purple Vikings jerseys. Those were awesome. 
I want to go uh, Vikings in white, like you, Phil, because the red and and the the whatever they're called, the stripes around the sleeves are just classic and perfect. And mm-hmm. then this, if the Vikings are in all white, which they won't be, they'll wear the purple pants. I'm not big on that. I'm not the white top purple pants. Yeah. I like white and white. And I'm sure some offensive linemen are like. Can I not? Like, where, you know, whatever. You'd be surprised. You really would. We yeah. like it. Like, show, we like to look cool. Show, show off the bod. We're not total um, losers. So, yeah, uh, I, I, that's how I would go. Definitely. And bring back that old dark purple helmet. I love the dark purple helmet. Um, if I'm giving you guys uh, one coach to win a game, Kyle Shanahan or Mike Zimmer, let's say the roster strength, as might be the case in this one, is even. And let's say it's neutral field. And you just can pick Mike Zimmer, and you could, or you could pick Kyle Shanahan. Phil, who do you want as your head coach so for that one game? This is tough because obviously, if you're giving me the next five to ten years, I will take Kyle Shanahan just based on age and a number of factors. But Kyle Shanahan has never coached in a game like this as a head coach. He's been in all kinds of games as an offensive coordinator. Uh, his family has a lot of big games under their belt. But as far as being a head coach in a big game, this is Kyle Shanahan's biggest stage. Mike Zimmer has big wins over the Saints twice in the playoffs, although one of them you could argue that his team blew it in the second half and they needed a miracle. He also outcoached the Seattle Seahawks in a home playoff game a few years ago that they weren't necessarily supposed to win, and then kicker misses a kick 27 yards. So I'm going to say because Mike Zimmer has done this before and has, has put together game plans that have won in the playoffs before, give me Mike Zimmer. Boone? I'm going to agree with what Phil said, and I agree with you. I think a lot of it has to do with experience, but what he just did to Drew Brees' offense with a makeshift defense and putting Sandejo at like nickel, dude, that was incredible. Like I know at times they got out of sorts, but if you look at them, dude, they're so disciplined. And I've said this before, your defense will win the championship for you. I mean, your quarterback's going to win it, but your defense is the one that's going to get it. And what he did to Drew down there in his own stadium and the way that they just like, dude, they they just tore Drew apart. The entire offense looked completely rattled from the start. So I'm going with Mike Zimmer. Are you making the case for Kyle Shanahan, Jonathan? Sorry, I'm not. I'm agreeing with these two. I, I'm taking the guy who just shut down Drew Brees in New Orleans in a huge playoff game and the guy who's had the experience of doing it in the playoffs before. He's had that, that experience of doing it as a head coach, and he's got the long history of doing it as a defensive coordinator and an assistant as well. The reason I would pick Mike Zimmer is because if the other team's quarterback is way better than your quarterback, which might be the case, right? we didn't lay out who you're playing against in this scenario, then I'm going to give myself a chance yeah. by having the better defensive coach mm-hmm. who can, like Alex mentioned, make adjustments on the fly. I really do like what Kyle Shanahan has done, though. It's been miraculous with the offense there, that they've been as explosive as anybody in the league. And the last time they faced off, it was a really good battle. Jimmy Garoppolo did not execute really well, but I remember looking back at the film of that game, Week 1, 2018, and thinking, Kyle Shanahan, if this guy... If this quarterback makes some throws, and people drop balls in that game too, George Hill dropped a touchdown, which usually doesn't yep. happen. I think he also dropped a bomb in that game. But they had some guys spinning around like tops, looking like, where the heck is the ball? You don't see that very often, as you mentioned, from the Vikings. Last question on the docket here today. Mm. How high are you? How much have you snorted the win <laughs> over the New Orleans Saints is really the question here. It's true. Would you take, would you trade... 
Kirk Cousins for Jimmy Garoppolo wow. today. Wow. Ooh. I'm still injecting that game into my veins. That's yep. just one of the most, that's like top five most fun I've had watching Vikings games. All right. This is a great tale of the tape here because their contracts are basically the same in terms of average annual value. They both make about $27 million. Neither guy is really mobile, so it's not like you'd be upgrading to someone who can flush out of the pocket like a Lamar Jackson. So you're talking about pocket passers, and they're both about the same. Cousins is like two years older. It's like 31 to 28 or 29. But here's the thing that I would I would sway toward Jimmy Garoppolo. Jimmy Garoppolo is 21-5 and five as a starter, and I don't believe in QB wins as the be-all, end-all, but there's something about Jimmy Garoppolo being 21-5 and five that makes me think there's a little bit more of a winning DNA ingredient there a little bit more of a and some of it a, a was with a of horrible team right when he went right. 5 and 0 at the end of that season so so the, the i don't know that ago. 21 and 5 is not gospel but it's very interesting to me and Kirk Cousins has been mostly 500 his entire life so i would take Jimmy Garoppolo but it's pretty close boom i agree with you i think that you know Jimmy started has just started recently so his like when we look back on his body of work, it doesn't look as much as Kirk Cousins. Kirk's obviously got way more starts. Has played with way different teams. Dude, Jimmy came from Tom Brady. He played under Tom Brady for how long? How, how well do you think he schooled in the Tom Brady, I know how to throw a ball down the field type of school? When you look at Kirk Cousins, he was over in Washington with some teams that maybe weren't even as close to the Patriots or had coaching like the Patriots had. So, yeah, I like Jimmy because he does have a better record. But what Kirk just did this last weekend proved so many people wrong, a lot of us wrong, because it was like, can he ever do this? Is he ever going to do this? As soon as he got over that hump, dude, it's like this team is now a scary team. They're dangerous because they have Kirk. Because he's gotten over that huge game. Not only was it not at home, but it was in somebody else's stadium. And he kind of did it when he didn't start out so hot. He got over that hump as well. So to me, that was like a huge victory for Kirk. But looking like for the future, I do like Jimmy's. I mean, the dude is really good. He looks like he's super, super calm all the time, too. Quite simply, on age alone, I'm taking Jimmy Garoppolo. Yeah, he's three years younger, but that's also three more years that you get of Jimmy Garoppolo if... If indeed he has, he is the quarterback that is twenty-one and five. If he is that way throughout the rest of his career, I want that guy for even three more years than I would have Kirk Cousins. What's his record? Jimmy G twenty-one and five. Now, now Kirk is eighteen and twelve as a Vikings quarterback, so we'll take that away from him. Mm, QB no. wins. Hashtag QB twenty-one wins, and baby. five though, dude. That's like a that's insane. <laughs> that's a silly record. Like you're like, dude, really <laughs> playing in the NFL? Okay. And, and nineteen and five since becoming the 49ers quarterback. No big deal. Um, hmm. I don't know. <laughs> I mean, it's tough. It, it is it tough. Is tough. Uh, why I liked writing the question but didn't have an answer when I wrote it <laughs> is because they they fall in the same tier of quarterback they do. where it's not right. this incredible mobility. They have to have their Kyle Shanahan's and their Kevin Stefanski's and Gary Kubiak's to make it work at its absolute best. And neither is the guy that you're going to be like, this guy is the grittiest Gritterson right. that I've ever seen when it comes to leading. We're going to win just because of his pure heart. I don't know if I think of that with Jimmy Garoppolo either, but I'll give you my slight edge, and it's on the dumbest stat in the entire world. But it's the only one I can find that is a little bit of a difference, is that Jimmy Garoppolo had four fourth-quarter comebacks and four game-winning drives this year. And if he's got seven out of those 21 wins, so every third game he's having to, every third win he's having to come back from down in the fourth quarter and lead game-winning drives. And if that's the slight, slight, slight edge, other than, like Jonathan mentioned, age is an issue, 
I guess that would be it, that maybe he's a little more capable of that. But they are looking in the mirror. It, very, very similar. It's funny because if you ranked all the quarterbacks, to your gritty McGritterson uh, comment, if you ranked all the quarterbacks in the NFL based on perceived grit, they'd both be in the bottom half or yeah. bottom third. Yeah. But if you ranked all the quarterbacks based on how likely they would be to play Superman or Clark Kent in a yes. movie, yeah. they'd both be in the top how three. About, like, how about squareness of chin? Yeah. Like, yeah. <laughs> who could play American Dad like, on Fox? Like Roethlisberger <laughs> is dead last in square chin and uh, <laughs> Jimmy Garoppolo's number one. Oh my god. Uh, Phil, wonderful to have you in. Super fun, super fun. Yes. Hot routes. Alex, you're going to stay around for another hour. And I wrote a piece yesterday, and here's the title of the article. What can the Vikings carry over from their win in New Orleans? So we're going to go over this article just basically only reading the stats quietly together. Right, Alex? That's <laughs> what you want to do? For All sure. right, we'll do that when we return. <laughs> Matthew Collar, Alex Boone, Purple Daily here on Score North. TCL is a proud sponsor of the Score North Studios. TCL, America's fastest growing TV brand. It's Purple Daily. A lot of the guys that are here were, were here before, and so I, I feel like they're a veteran team. They understand. We actually had a couple guys saying, hey, calm down in the locker room. You know, we got to get ready to go play again. So I'm hopeful that, uh, you know, it's, it's like that. Minnesota Vikings head coach Mike Zimmer there, Matthew Collar, Alex Boone on Purple Daily. And I have just learned something very important, Alex. Uh-oh. You won the touchdown league. Congratulations. Good for you. You're so welcome. 55 touchdowns with your team. No, I'm sorry. 59 touchdowns with your team. Drew Brees, Todd Gurley, Michael Thomas, and Tyler Lockett. Gurley really came through for you because early on it looked like, is his knee going to work at all for the football? It was risky. Yeah, it was. And uh, so I ended off. up I ended up with 10 behind you with my team. Mahomes getting hurt really hurt me and also picking two Cincinnati Bengals was not great. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? I just had I my logic was they'll score some touchdowns and these are the only two human beings who are going to score them and it didn't work out great but they ended up still combining for 13 so it wasn't an embarrassment like Phil who had 27 zero from his quarterback Cam Newton and one from Antonio Brown and what a one wow. it was as a wow. New England Patriot Phil had Derrick Henry on the team 18 touchdowns and still did not win this league so Alex That's Boone incredible. congratulations we'll have Thank to figure you. out what your prize is for Thank victory you. some people have Suggested that you are now the program director. Oh, uh, you don't want that. Mm, well, <laughs> you it would really be, don't want that. You know what you'd come up with is like a show where we talk only football all the oh, time. Dude, it would be all football all the time. <laughs> We'd be calling all old coaches. We'd be like, dude, come on, let's talk. It'd be so fun. Yeah, well, that's kind of what we're doing anyway. We have a mystery guest for Thursday that's pretty <gasps> exciting, too. Yeah, oh, it's a mystery, though. Uh, let's dive right into this. Um, yeah. I wrote the article, What Can the Vikings Carry Over from the Win in New Orleans? And I'm going to tell you what I wrote, and you tell me what you think. So, patience with the deep shots and running versus seven-man boxes. It's one of those things that is hard to spot on the TV cameras, I think, what type of safety alignment the other team has. But when New Orleans comes out, and they've got two high safeties the whole game, right from the get-go. They're saying, we're going to put a guy over Diggs, and we're going to put a guy over Thielen, and we're going to make you march down the field instead of hitting deep shots. And even though everyone's happy with the way that it ended with Kirk Cousins, throughout that game, 
it makes it difficult for Cousins to drop straight back and just sit there in the pocket and let guys go through their routes and have to find spaces and zones. And there were times where he had that bad Kirk look to him. Yes. And, and I, I think it was the right strategy by the Saints. But eventually, they got tired of having Dalvin Cook run them over. And in overtime, they get an eight-man box, and boom, you hit Adam Thielen. My guess is you're going to have to do that again. Yeah, I agree. And. I'm glad you brought that up because it was like within the first three plays that he had a ball that skipped like 10 yards in front of someone who was like, oh, man, is this bad Kirk in there today? How he overcame that in a place like New Orleans against a Drew Brees, like at any time that Drew has the ball, you're like, man, he could score. Like he could, you just feel like, oh, my God, he could do it right now. You just never know. So for Kirk to overcome that in a stadium like that and to really just kind of shine, he really, after that, he really shined the rest of the game to me. Like the way he played that game really calm, took some sacks, I agree with Mike. Sometimes when you're you have a lead and you just want the clock to run, you're like, dude, listen, if it's not there, just take the sack. Nobody cares. The way he kind of progressed through the pocket and the way guys were coming, and they were they were attacking. They were coming as hard as they could. We said it was dude, listen, it's gonna be the feast or famine. And for the Vikings, it was feast all day because they really didn't they really thought Dalvin wasn't who he was. Like, I don't know what they thought, but for me, watching Dalvin just run over defender after defender, like you're like, dude, did you really not think this kid was going to show up prepared, ready to just destroy you guys? You you give him a seven man box, like that's I don't know how you would have to defend that, but it's going to be tough. And they just didn't have the defense equipped to do it in a base personnel or in a sub personnel where they could play a seven-man box in a sub and still have their two high and be safe and still stop the run. If you can't do that, then we've said it before on this show, you are ruined because your base defense can't be out there the whole game because then you have Thielen and Diggs like, okay, now we're going to feast. And that's complimentary football. Hey, listen, we're going to throw Delvin at you as much as we can, and right when you crack, we're going to go up top. And that's what they – and, dude, Marshawn Lattimore looked like he was spun around three different times. Like, dude, where, where did Thielen go? Oh, my God. And what a beautiful catch and throw, too, right? Yeah, it was Patrick Robinson because Lattimore got hurt. That's right. So, that's right. So it was taking advantage Mr. at the right, yeah. at the right time. And, and that's what I mean about when you go up against San Francisco because my guess is they're going to say our front seven is pretty darn good, and it looks like Quan Alexander is going to play – so another linebacker that they get back, Fred Warner, is a fantastic a linebacker beast. for the 49ers. Beast. And then they have the, the defensive front of guys who are all excellent. And so if they can stop Delvin and keep the two safeties high, it's going to be tough for Cousins. He, he needs those big shots every once in a while. And I had the stat in my article that he only used play action on 13 out of 33. And aside from the one big throw to Thielen, he averaged four yards an attempt when using play action. So they did a great job of taking it away for most of the game. But when Delvin got that 11-yard run, it seemed like the Saints said, oh, no, they're going to do this to us all the way down the field and win this game. And they said, we've got to load up the box on first down because we think Delvin's going to run. And then they picked their spot. I think right. if they do that in San Francisco, you don't need five 40-yard throws. You need one or two in a playoff game like this. Absolutely, especially against a team that's playing really well. They hold the number one seed. You're going to go in, and it's it's going to be a slugfest. There's no question. They're, they're going to get Quan back. They're going to get Chikorsky Tart back. They're getting D Ford back. The one thing that scares me, and we just talked about it, defense wins championships. When you can put a sub package on the field in a playoff game against a Dalvin Cook offense and control the game, like – Dude, you write your ticket. And that's why when you're looking at both sides of this, you're like, man, whichever defense can stay in sub the most and sustain the run and keep the quarterback under as much pressure without blitzing, like that's the team that's going to go to the Super Bowl. Whatever team wins this game is going to go to the Super Bowl. There's no question. Hmm. Yeah, well, that let's not get ahead of ourselves. But 
It's true. Mm, going, going three times on the road, man. Dude, you know, I'm th- telling you, if you beat the Niners in Levi Stadium at the number one seed, or whether they beat you, doesn't matter. These are the two top NFC teams right now. Dude, you, can, you can't tell me the Packers are really on your fearful list. Like, oh, no. Or even the Seattle Seahawks, dude. <laughs> like, like what? Oh no. oh, no. Like, those are not, <laughs> this game right now, this is going to be the biggest game before the Super Bowl. Like, that's it. And that's why you're like, wow, these are two defenses that could legitimately don't even need a base defense. And then you think about the depth of guys that roll through. Look at the Vikings. Their depth players are showing up just as much as their star players are. Like, that's incredible. And how Anthony Harris has been playing lately is lights out. Like, that, I don't know how he doesn't get his name kind of thrown in like a defensive MVP like that. You're holding the title along with Stefan Gilmore and Tredavious white. Like the three of you are like the three scariest dudes to throw around. That's, that's pretty incredible. Yeah. Tops in the NFL and interceptions and an incredible play to bring it in. Uh, my theory Amazing. is that he's the only corner who can catch the ball. So, or, or I'm saying safety. I mean, like corners yeah. and safety. If you're the one guy who can actually catch it, boy, you're, you're going to be get good. Them all. The, the number of dropped interceptions oh, per year worst. is hilarious you know, and mind blowing. That's the worst when you're on the side and you see a guy like catch it and he comes down, he drops. You're like, dude, what? You had one job and you couldn't do it. That's because, why they play corner. Like, dude, that's that's why my defense. Like, yeah, you're right. <laughs> uh, but Anthony Harris has no problem with that. Incredible. The only the only hesitation I would have. Because I think if you're talking about not the quarterback position, just team versus team, 49ers, Vikings versus Seattle or versus Green Bay, I don't even think it's close that the 49ers and the Vikings are much better than both of those teams. However, when you're talking about the quarterback evening thing out, um, Rodgers had a bad game against Detroit, but he's still Aaron Rodgers and is capable of playing as well as anyone in the NFL. And Russell Wilson is just doing things that don't even make sense anymore. Yeah, and... and DK. I mean, yeah. I mean, just the way that he, Wilson played the other day was kind of to the score, doing exactly what he needed to do to win. And his deep ball accuracy has been unbelievable. And he can run around and make the plays that you see him make. I, I would look at it as not a guarantee that either one of these teams is going to the Super Bowl because of the opposing quarterbacks. It does give you a great shot, though. Is Green Bay going to be a, a superior, talented team in Minnesota? three times in a season when both of the first two games could have gone the Vikings way. But let's let's focus on what they need to do next here to get there because they barely got out of New Orleans. These swing passes and checkdowns to Delvin Cook, Alex, I thought were massive. And if you want to get Kirk out of one of those little Kirk funks that he gets into where he mm-hmm. looks anxious and nervous, well, a little swing pass for 19 yards to Delvin Cook that got him to the goal line, I thought was a huge play in the game. There was another time where he was sort of in the pocket, like there's nothing there, there's nothing there, and he finally got to his check down and hit Delvin Cook. He breaks a tackle or two for a big gain. More of that is going to be required, and it's going to require Cousins to get through those progressions quick because this defensive line for the 49ers is for real. Yeah, they don't need anybody to come other than the first four coming after you. I mean, you look at it, Bosa, you get D4 back. Now, D Ford hasn't played in what, like six or seven weeks? Like, how good that dude is really going to be, Dave? Like, you know what I'm saying? Like, you come back for your first game. Should I expect you to light up the field? No, but I expect you to still be a threat. So, let's say Bosa, DeForest, you got Eric Armstead, you still got Solomon Thomas, who's kind of scaring people. But you talk about these guys being able to rush and do whatever they want 
and then letting their linebackers drop. And this is going to be the best thing is when Delvin does run these swing routes and you get the ball in his hands and with a head of steam going forward. Like when you can put the ball perfectly in his hands when he's rolling, dude, there's not a lot of people, maybe even two people that can stop him. And that's what's so scary is that, like you said, these quick screen passes that when we were normally watching, you're like, God, who throws that? Stop throwing him. Like when you throw it to an effective running back, they turn into 19 yards. You're like, dude, that's a drive starter. That's how we get this thing going. How about this for a stat? Throwing behind the line of scrimmage this year, Kirk Cousins averaged eight yards an attempt, which is double what he averaged last year throwing behind the line of, of scrimmage. It's because incredible. of Delvin Cook, right. Breaking tackles and then getting momentum going for drives, which I do, I do believe that momentum exists in a drive where the other team feels like they're on their heels and yep. you feel like you can continue to run them over. Now, Delvin's health... He was not super pleased to be asked about it again. And, uh, well, you know, that's life, I guess, it's in the fair. NFL. It's the playoffs. There's yeah, a lot of people ask. there, and you got to ask how, how they're feeling. But um, he looked great last week. He also touched the ball one million times. And, and I one feel million? today, exactly one million. Today, I'm <laughs> telling you, as a reporter at the game, I still feel the effects of being there on Sunday because it was such such a, a crazy atmosphere and so much concentration that goes into it and long days and travel and everything else. Yep. I cannot imagine, and you know this, and I'd like you to tell me about it, what it is like to win the playoff game on the road and then the next week as you get prepared for the next one. It just has to be exhausting. It is exhausting, especially because when you're going to a place like New Orleans, like I think of the times that we went out to Carolina and we won a playoff game, and I think of the times that we went to Atlanta and won a playoff game. Those were long flights. I mean, the flight home it was like six hours, seven hours. You're like, dude, it is, I am exhausted. And then you're, you have to turn around like, the one thing that I can't stand is how these games can never really be fair because some games are going to end on Sunday and have to be played on Saturday. So you lose a day of preparing, which kind of sucks because mm-hmm. these are the playoffs, and you want these dudes at the top of their game, but it also kind of evens the playing field for a lot of people because it makes everybody have to cram a lot of stuff in in a short amount of time, and it's kind of like, listen, natural talent is going to take over. And it's hard because... When you win a playoff game, the emotions running through you is so... Because the whole game, we always say it's just another game, it's just another game. And it's it's continuing to tell yourself that while you're playing because you're, you like want to gut check yourself all the time. Like, dude, I'm doing it. <laughs> I'm doing it. If the mm-hmm. six-year-old version of myself could see me now, like this is what I always wanted, <laughs> yeah. to be standing here in Atlanta, to go to the Super Bowl, to win the game. I need Frank Gore to run right behind me. Like, dude... I'm crying because sometimes you get so emotional. You're like, dude, this is it. And you, you look over and other dudes are like, bro, this is it. Like, yeah, I'm with you, man. I feel you. We feel this. And it's all of a sudden you won and you're like, this is great. And they're like, now you got to play the best team in the NFC. You're like, oh, my God, here we go. But that's what's so fun about it because it's so competitive that your body never really gets a time to come down. You constantly just stay up, and you're on overdrive, and you're just burning, and your mind is constantly thinking about everybody on that team now and what they do, what's their moves, what are we going to do, what are they, how do we expose this team. Dude, it is like the greatest time of your life, all rolled into like a month, and it's cr- crazy chaotic because, like you said, there's a million reporters there. Everybody's got a million stupid questions. You're like, dude, I've never seen this guy. Why is he here? Is he working for the other team? I don't know him. And, and uh, you know, you have to be very weary of everybody around you and what you're telling people. And I remember, like, our meeting rooms were they would like lock and key them. They would lock a key and walk away and be like, don't let us out until we bang three times. Like, it was like, dude, what are we doing? And they're like, we can't trust anybody. 
we have to keep this secret. And that and that was kind of the thing that made it more fun was that it was so secretive and it's like, don't tell your wives either. Like, we can't trust them. And I was like, oh, God. <laughs> I told my wife what we were doing the first play. I said, oh, God. Oh, oh, no. oh no. Power, power, Lauren, run left. <laughs> She's like, don't tell anyone. power. God, Giro. Guess we'll find out if I need to divorce her. Um, <laughs> that, no, that's great. And, and, the, and going on the road and getting that win like they did. Huge. Um, there's, there's just an energy to the team that I guess now exists because they believe that it can happen. And going into that, the energy around the building was, we'll see if it can happen, and we'll see what happens if it doesn't, was most of the conversation. And anybody who says that they don't hear what you're talking about, they do. And Zimmer is proof because he told Deion Sanders, I'm sick of hearing that I'm going to get fired when I've won all these games and everything else. So it's impossible to ignore. Everybody's got families, so even if you don't watch TV you know, they're sending you the tweets or they're sending you the articles or, or whatever else it might be in 2019. But now with this team, they don't have that anymore. They have now, oh, wow, Kirk can actually win a playoff game. And look at this. I feel like it's a different energy. And this is not in my list of things to carry over, but it probably should have been, is the defiance on the offensive side to some extent, but also the understanding that this is this is still huge for everybody's life and careers. Agreed. You know what I mean? Like to bring yeah. that same type of energy and defiance to San Francisco that they had in New Orleans. I mean, I understand why people are like, you guys need to get off Kirk. Like, yeah, now, after he did what he did down in New Orleans, dude, I am all about it. You've gotten over the hump. You've proven not only can you do a playoff game, but you can do it on the road in one of the toughest stadiums against one of the toughest opposing quarterbacks, and your team didn't even really flinch. Like, you guys just the whole game. There was times that, yeah, you stall out. Dude, it's a playoff football game. Like, I expect that. That times, you're not going to convert a third and five. You're not going to convert a third and seven. But when you can come out with the win, and not only that, but take the ball in overtime and march all the way down the field and throw it to Kyle Rudolph in the corner of the end zone to win the game, Dude, you've earned that contract. You've earned that next contract. And not only that, but Zim has too because there was, there was question marks like, hey, what's going to happen now? The defensive secondary is a little muddled. We're, we're not really sure. This is supposed to be a specialty, and it doesn't look very special. <laughs> when you go down and stifle Drew Brees in his own house, like, dude, did you see him after the game? He's like crying. He was yeah. like, I can't believe they did that with like Andrew Sandejo and Xavier Rhodes and all. Dude, Mike's a genius. Yes, he's just earned that contract extension. So going forward, this team looks like really good. They look like a whole new energy. Just the way you saw them break it down after the game look completely different. And people can say, oh, we were all in on it before. Dude, whatever. Whatever. Now everybody's all in. Now everybody has to be like, yep, he did it. He won the game down there. He was extremely complimentary. He started off and it was like, oh, boy, what's going to happen? But, man, he came right out of that funk and he looked good. And I've always thought, Alex, you know, a major part of leadership for any quarterback and getting people behind them is you just have to prove it too. I mean, you, you can't be about potential. You can't be about numbers or anything else. You, you have to win to have that, right. which, is, which is why when I see analytics people who I am friends with and you know the, talk a lot of sports and football with, it, when they mock the win-loss record, and like, well, let's just wait, though, because what does the locker room care about the most? They right. don't care if you threw for 14 touchdowns or 46 touchdowns. They care that you came through. They care that you won. They care that you were the guy in charge and you were calm in the overtime period and not throwing it to the other team. Right, right. You know, it, it wouldn't have mattered if he threw for 400 yards if they had come up short. Everyone would have said, well, it just it really wasn't good enough. And that's right. harsh, but that's how everyone inside of a locker room thinks. And to carry over that belief is important. And it's very few times, Alex, that we talk about 
a locker room, an organization having a weight lifted off by getting a huge win because it was such a legit win. It was not like, oh, well, you came back, but it was against Denver and whatever, Denver, right? I mean, it was, right. it wasn't Denver. It was in that building, in that place. And I, I think it could ultimately, I could be wrong be looked at as a turning point for Kirk Cousins even for how he relates to everyone inside the locker room and how he's viewed even in the NFL. Well, 100%. You know what I love about this the most the more I think about it? I, don't, I know you probably didn't see it, but, but like before the game, all they kept talking about was like Drew Brees and Drew Brees and Drew Brees this, and he's 14-2 and two with the Chargers. He's 13-3 and three here. Hey, he can't do anything wrong. He's Drew Brees. Dude, you just got stifled by this team, and you look like you were kind of scared. And at times, like Kirk looked like the better quarterback. It was like, man, these guys are really starting to rally around him. And just the way that you see them, kind of after he threw that touchdown, like the whole team just went crazy. Like that to me is a team embracing him, saying, "Listen, man, we're all in now, and and we're we're in it." And this that's what's going to make this team so scary is the teams that grab this momentum towards the end of the year. And I applaud them for being able to. Come back from a tough Packers game, obviously a Bears game that not a lot of them played in, but still you lose two in a row, and then you come back and you go down there, and the way that they just hung in there the whole day with grit and toughness, and they were like, listen, man, we're not going to let you bully us. We're not going to let you come in here in your house. We get it. You're tough, but we got some tough guys over here, too, and we're going to unleash them, and they did a masterful job of it. Now, what we were talking about with Kirk, uh, there are some other folks who disagree with your opinion, and I think there, there is a point to be made. Now, James Harrison was on Colin Cowherd's show, and he was less impressed all right so kirk cousins had a reputation he did not play well in big games that's statistics it's mm-hmm. not just opinion yesterday he made two huge throws okay has it changed your opinion no. on him no that, that that happened one time he had no pressure on him he wasn't expected to win the game hell he probably didn't even expect to win the game you see how excited he was after that game <laughs> like I'm, I'm dead serious like somebody that expects to win you're not that excited you would have thought that he won the super bowl the way he reacted after that like my dad says the sun shines on every dog's ass once in a while that was the day that it just shined on him you guys have the best i want you to go out there and do it consistently <laughs> year in year out game in and game out and then i'll jump on the bandwagon okay. but until i see that you went out there you got lucky let me see what it do from here on out, even if he was to possibly figure out some way to beat San Francisco, I still wouldn't be impressed because it's only two times in how many. If I keep betting on the same team over and over, at some point in time, I'm going to win. Okay, first half of it, Alex, I agree with, and I think is fair. Second half of it, I don't. I don't think it was luck. I think no. it was great throws at the biggest time in a place where I have not recovered yet from being in with my ears still ringing. Um, and I also don't think if he loses to San Francisco or if he beats San Francisco and plays really well, then I, I think that that matters a lot. Then I yeah. I would be quite impressed if, if he did that. But what about the first part? What about, you know, okay, it is just one game. It is one game, but it's one huge game. And you say that, and it's like, well, it's just one game. Well, it's one game that pushes your team another round farther, and you did it on the road in a tough situation when a lot of people were bearing down on you. And, you know, I get what James is saying. Like, it's one game out of a million that he's played, and, oh, you know, big deal. But, you know, to to more the credit of what we were talking about with Sam, remember what we were talking about, like, Sam, what's it like in year two of a system? And he's like, dude, that's when you grow. That's when you really understand the system. 
Kirk's done a great job of picking up the system from last year and running with it this year. And I think that that's what you need to look back. And you, yeah, we look back and we go, eh, it's, you know, up and down. One big game. Yeah, it's, it's easy for me as an offensive lineman now to put my chips behind him and be like, listen, I know that when crunch time comes, this dude's going to at least give it as much as he got. And I think that that's the one thing he's been learning is that when you are a leader of a team, Guys want to see how much you're committed. Is he really going to take this tongue lashing from us? Is he really going to sit there and do that? Is he going to take this hit and get up and keep coming back for more? Like, Is he going to be the same guy after he takes that hit? I think that they're seeing that he is tougher than they think he is. And in clutch situations, yeah, you can put it on my back. Like I'm growing in this offense. We're all growing together. I'm understanding my outlets. I'm understanding where I need to go. I know what's best for this offense now. That's what's so scary about it. And you get the momentum of not – because it had been one thing if they'd have won at home. You know, you people would be like, well, it was a home game. And, yeah, you know, people play differently. You can't really say a lot. Like you got to – at some point, you got to give a dog his due. Like, I get it that a sun shines on his ass every now and then, but sometimes you got to stand back and go, man, that was really, really cool. And that was really tough for you to do that, especially because nobody thought you could. And who cares if he thought he could or couldn't? He did it. Like, that's the one thing people keep overlooking. Well, he didn't expect to do it. Who cares, dude? He just went out and did it. He doesn't yeah, care. I what think you anybody who wins else. a playoff game that way is celebrating. Yes. I, I, yeah. I think that's a You silly can't criticism. tell me, like, you're not going to be super excited. Like, you just beat Drew Brees. Like, you'd be. I wouldn't even know where my helmet was. I'd have lost yeah, this, it. In the this stands. is not an act like you've been there situation. No, this is no, because you haven't. You haven't brought over there. <laughs> right, so now right. you could be like, dude, I haven't been here. Sorry. Now I'll be cool about it. But that. even Brady or Breeze is going crazy after of course that they and, are. and giving a, a you know a speech and everything else in the locker room. Everyone's going to be excited after they won. But the first part of it, I do agree with that. Look, I mean, it was a great win, and he deserves all the credit that he's getting for the win. But if you still have some hesitation as a Vikings fan or as an analyst or whatever in that he can take them farther than this, then I understand it. And when we return, I want to ask you a question about another NFL quarterback who had what I think we would all agree is a really, really good career. But if you were to trade or if I were to tell you Kirk Cousins had this career as a quarterback in Minnesota, if they signed him to an extension, would you be happy with that or not? That's what I want to ask when we come back. And also, I've got the stat of the game that I need you to tell me how in the world this happened. We'll do both of those things when we return. Matthew Collar, Alex Boone, you're listening to Purple Daily on Score North. Score North Download Time. Jonathan here with the download. Score North is all in for Vikings 49ers. Join Mackie and Judd for a special pregame show beginning Saturday at 1 p.m. leading up to kickoff. Plus, Vikings Vent Line taking your calls immediately after the game and a three-hour special aftermath show on Sunday morning at 9 a.m. Watch the game anywhere. Talk about it right here on Score North, scorenorth.com, and the free Score North mobile app. Kirk Cousins throwing for 242 yards, one touchdown, zero interceptions, only taking two sacks on the day. Had quite the day for himself in a very key matchup down in New Orleans. Zimmer talking to the media afterwards, telling, talking about giving him the game ball, sharing the moment with him. You know, it was just about, um, uh, you know, him solidifying himself. Uh, you know, with all, all of the the bad uh, rhetoric that he gets all the time. Uh, you know, about this or that. You know, I just felt like, um, you know, it was time. To, Tell a lot of people that he's our guy and he did it. That's been your score on download. Now back to Purple Daily. Oh, that's great. That's rich. <laughs> he, he, he did it. Uh, what, what was that again, Mike? Um, let's. Can we play it from uh, week four when somebody, I think it was Jim Trotter of NFL Network, said to uh, Mike Zimmer, so what, you know, what do you make of uh, 
Cousins just coming apart in these big games. And Zimmer says, I don't know. You'd have to ask him. <laughs> I like how whenever there's like a, he's expected to give like a compliment, there's always this... Yeah, well, he uh, definitely this, did this that I didn't like. There's you know, this just, delay. Yeah. And, and and then before the Green Bay game, look, if we lose, it's probably not his fault. Probably. <laughs> Most likely not. It's not going to be totally his fault if we lose fault. or win or whatever. I guess, uh, well, we were making fun of votes of confidence earlier uh, last week about you know the ownership, every intent to keep him, <clears throat> unless we lose by 40. Right. Uh, but uh, they will be keeping him for sure. And with Kirk Cousins, that one is, I think, still a little bit undecided. So I came up with this. I went back to 2009 and I started poking around. Because 2009 was a lot of great, all-time great quarterbacks in either their primes or toward the end of their primes. So you have, obviously, Breeze wins the Super Bowl. You've got Favre still playing extremely well. Peyton Manning still uh, at, at the height of his powers at that point with Peyton Manning. All these great quarterbacks. Tom Brady. And then you had these other guys. Jay Cutler was playing pretty well. Matt Schaub was playing pretty well. And then a guy who throughout his entire career playing pretty well is kind of his thing. And then coming up short is also kind of his thing. So I'm going to tell you the, a quarterback and what the results were for a very long period of time playing, 2008 through 2019. And tell me if you would be happy with this for Kirk Cousins for his entire time in Minnesota. Let's say it just keeps on going. He plays till he's 40 because he eats nuts and berries and is in great shape and everything else. Okay. Mm-hmm. Let's say you end up with a 98 and 94 record. You end up with two seasons with 12 or more wins, but also three seasons with five or fewer wins, and everything else is eight and eight, nine and seven, seven and nine. So you got basically two great seasons, two or three terrible seasons. Everything else is in the middle. Maybe you're in the playoffs, maybe you're not. And then in the postseason, you end up winning three games in, let's say, uh, let's say you win, you win three games and you lose four games. Because what? So. I'm sorry, I made that convoluted. But like, let's say that's your your career as a starting quarterback for Kirk Cousins. The rest of his time, he's in Minnesota. Let's say he ends his career in Minnesota. Is two or three years that are really great, two or three years that are really bad. Everything right. else is in the middle. You don't win a Super Bowl, but you're in the playoffs enough to have some big and huge and exciting games. Is that a win for you? If, I feel like I feel like that makes you more like Matt Ryan. You you're you're close. I have to be. Like, I feel like that puts you at, like, the good, not great tier. Like, for me, you have to do something in the playoffs with the team. And because if you're going to the playoffs, you clearly have one hell of a defense or you have one hell of a run game to complement your throwing arm. So if you can't do it or take them all the way in there, and you're saying, like, for another 10 years, you don't win a, you don't win a Super Bowl. So basically, how many years would that be for? I'm like... 16, 17 years, and you haven't won a Super Bowl. You've won a, a couple playoff, four playoff, five playoff games. I mean, I would think that there'd be a lot of people like, yeah, he was, he was okay. He oh. was J- Jay Cutler. He was, you know, he could sling the ball when he had a run game behind him. You know, I just don't think that you would ever be like that guy was great. Okay. That guy was. So, do you do you want to know who the guy was? I kind of don't. Okay, well, I'm going to tell you anyway because <laughs> everybody know. else does. Well, duh, I want to know. Come on, Philip Rivers is the guy. Yeah, I and. Feel like- I mean, if I told you Philip, you had Philip Rivers basically here, a lot of people would say, well, yeah, he was a great quarterback. Look how many times he threw for 4,000 yards. Look how many Pro Bowls he made and everything else. But the result, and this is probably a better franchise than the San Diego Chargers, but yeah. 
What I searched was from 2008 to 2019 because he comes in the league with one of the best rosters there's ever been in 2006. 14-2 team. I mean, just superstars across the board on that team. They lose in the playoffs with Rivers. And then he goes 11-5 the next year. So I picked up at an 8-8 eight and eight, because I was thinking, let me get the, the most comparable first season right. to Kirk Cousins. And then from there, a 13-3. and three. Last year, a 12-4. and four. A couple of down seasons that are totally reasonable to expect if you have Kirk Cousins for your quarterback long term. And then lots of 9-7. and seven. You think about where this team is going to go in five years. Well, you're going to have to rebuild this entire defense because right. guys are just going to get old. And you know the San Francisco team is a good example. When you're on the San Francisco team in the middle of that, it's unbelievable from position to position to position. And then you know guys retire, guys leave, guys get older. Coaches Chip Kelly comes in, have yeah. other yeah. all that's that also terrible. a part of it too, where. Everyone thought you were a genius, and then they also figured out everything you were doing on offense pretty quick. Um, all time. I mean, it bad, all mm-hmm. very bad, but mm-hmm. uh, amazing that a guy could have that type of fall. But that's a different story. It's just, I think this is kind of your fate, though. It, yeah. it, if Cousins doesn't do it this year, where he beats San Francisco and then goes to Green Bay, it's a route that's totally possible for him. Then, would you guess? He would or wouldn't have a better career or similar or different than what I described from Philip Rivers from 2008 to 2019. I would say that he probably does have about the same career. And that's where I wonder, gosh, do you take that? Some great times, some bad times, of or, course do. Or, or do you go under box number two? No, it's not always greener on the other side. That's a that's the first thing you have to know about football. Is like when you have something that you can work with, and I think a lot of like what goes on happens. Is going to be dependent on what happens with Dalvin and what happens with these receivers. Like if these guys can stick together for a long time, dude, this these guys could be dangerous for a long time because you could start plugging in pieces up front to protect them. And two, like when do you really have to go after the defense and start changing it and switching guys in? Because if you can keep the core guys the same, you, this team could be another really good team for a long time because. You're looking at all these teams that are up and coming right now, and they're young guys. And I'm not saying Kirk's young, but in terms of like being a quarterback, dude, he's on the younger side. These dudes are playing until they're 50 now. Like this, this is just incredible. It's it's unheard of. These guys are in their 40s. They're playing at a high level, and I say that because two of them were just in the playoffs, and yeah, they got eliminated, but they were in the playoffs over a lot of younger quarterbacks. So, you know. If you can keep those core guys on both sides together, you can have the most dangerous team because there are some positions that you can plug and play. And you can be like, hey, listen, man, free agency comes. We're just going to let you go. We love you. There's nothing bad, no no malice. It's just how it goes. But we have to keep our guys. We have to keep Kirk, Dalvin, Diggs, Thielen. We have to keep those guys together. And after that, I would even put Rudy in there. Like I would put, you know, but then you think about like an Irv Smith and up and coming. Like there's so many pieces that are kind of intertwined that you can be like, man, we could switch that out eventually. But as long as we keep these three or four guys on offense and then like Kendricks and Barr and Daniil on defense, dude, and Harry, not Harry, but like Anthony uh, Harrison, like, dude, there's guys that you can now start being like, well, these are the next core guys, and this is what we're going to be doing with our defenses. We're going to be going from these guys like Ev and Linval, who are getting older, to now we're going to more of a Kendrick's Bar, Anthony Harris type of route, you know, and that's, that's what's so exciting about this is because if you can interchange guys, you don't really have to have a rebuilding year. I've never felt like you've had to have a rebuilding year. There could be like a, hey, listen, we, we introduced a few new guys to our team. We're hoping that we can just keep on going, that they're going to pick up where the rest of the guys left off. We know that there'll be a little bit of a step back, but if we can continue this progression throughout the years, dude, you could be another great dynasty. 
So I'm with you in the fact that they are a really good organization and well-run from the front office. So they do a good job overall, not perfect as nobody is, but with scouting and especially player development under Mike Zimmer. We saw that on Sunday, how many guys have developed to be way better at football now than they were when Mike Zimmer got his hands on him, which is a huge factor for me in talking about not wanting to move on from Mike Zimmer. But the reality of the NFL is you sort of dip back down after you've had a spike up if you don't have Aaron Rodgers. And even then, a lot of the great teams will have a dip back after they spike up, even with the best quarterbacks. It's it's only the absolute best of the best all time, like Tom Brady, uh, who can stay at the top for a long period of time. And so when Kirk dips back a little because things go wrong, maybe there's injuries, maybe the offensive line struggles, maybe you lose the coordinator you love so much and so forth. Then with Kirk, you're probably eight and eight or nine and seven. And that's a lot of Phillip Rivers. Like he's a really, really good quarterback. Huge numbers. And there are, are great seasons in here where he goes nine and seven and plays really well. But that was kind of all that team was capable of this year. He's not capable of taking you from nine, a, a seven and nine team and making you 12 and four, for example, like some of the all time great quarterbacks are. So you sort of signing up for. We've got to do it when the opportunity presents ourselves. And this would be an Eli Manning, where Manning got two chances with teams that were that good, legit, top to bottom, great coaching, great defensive line, offensive line that was together forever, and got there and, and won the Super Bowl at both times. If you're signing up for Kirk Cousins for a long period of time, for the next five or seven years or something like that, then you're signing up for when we peak, we've got to do it. And in a way... I look at this year as one of those years. Your defense is largely healthy. Your offensive line is fully healthy. All your weapons are fully healthy. Your offensive coordinator is a guy that everyone's talking about for a head coaching job because he's done really, really well. So it puts, in my mind, even more pressure on them right now because with Kirk Cousins as your quarterback, he's very, very good. But you're only going to get a few spikes, and you have to hit on one of them. Well, you could say that about anybody. And I think that when you talk about having a quarterback, though, like Kirk, like I feel like having him is better than having any young player. Because I feel like with young players, you're going to go through so many progressions. And you're going to have to – dude, the game has evolved to something completely crazy that these guys come out of college and they're like, what am I looking at? This is so – what? Like when you have a Kirk, he sits back there and he's like, oh, it's just cover two. It just looks like cover one. It's not hard. You know, and you're like – my God, is that the future of this league? So you talk about having a guy who can read a defense, who understands a defense, and who, frankly, doesn't really have to throw the ball a lot of times. Doesn't He doesn't really wear on his body a lot. Like, yeah, sometimes he takes a lot of sex, but you can, like I said, plug and play, get more protection up front, figure ways out to keep him. He could have a long career because he's not one of these guys that they like to throw back there 55 times and say, hey, listen, man, it's you versus that entire defense. Go have fun. It's like It's more like he's part of a committee, and that, to me, will keep him – longer but keep this team together longer too because you don't wear on guys so much it's not like this one guy is the whole team this one guy has i can see that yeah that's why like these teams stay together for so long because you're not throwing to Diggs all the time or just Thielen or just rudy like there's so many guys that it's like well i mean i really didn't do much today so my legs are kind of safe like just teams like that can stay together longer and grow a lot more I think the the differentiation that I want to make on Cousins between him and the best of the best is that if you told me Russell Wilson won the Super Bowl this year or went there and lost to Patrick Mahomes, say, I'd be like, okay, I believe you. I think that team is bad. <laughs> Their offensive line is beat up and not good. And They're hurt. they have Marshawn Lynch playing when he didn't even play all year. 
They're they're relying on a guy that no one wanted to draft because they thought that he was just all muscles and no ability to catch the ball or run routes. And their defense has one great player, Jadavion Clowney, and a lot of injuries and everything else. And they're just not a great football team. And yet, I would be not stunned at all. Now, if Kirk Cousins was on the Seattle team and they won, then I would be stunned. Or if Philip Rivers or Matt Ryan or Matt Stafford or Jared Goff or Jimmy Garoppolo, any of those guys, okay. then I then I would be stunned. So San Francisco and the Vikings are in a similar type of spot here where I'm sure that they both are looking at their team saying, well, you know, we're going to be here for a long time. But the Rams might have thought that last year. We're going to be here for a long time. They spiked in two years and did not win. And the Vikings spiked in 2017, didn't pull it off. And they're spiking right now with the way they played in New Orleans and have to pull it off because you just can't guarantee that you're here year after year to have the amount of health that they've had this year. It just doesn't always happen. And even last year where they would have some injuries on the defensive side and the thing with Everson Griffin that took him away for a long time. It's just that as you go farther down the road, things happen. And that's why you know NFL teams always, there's someone who goes worst to first. There's someone that goes first to worst. And if you have Russell Wilson, you probably stay at first or at least right up there all the time because you just have him. So if you're deciding whether to move on from Kirk Cousins, you're trying to say, okay, should we take the guy that spikes every once in a while, every couple of years, and then we've got a shot at going to the Super Bowl and potentially winning? This is a Joe Flacco, too. Or do we take a risk and try to draft someone that we think could be a Russell Wilson, but could also be a Jamarcus Russell? Right. <laughs> right? You know, so I mean, that's, I guess after this win, that's where I am with this conversation is you've got Kirk Cousins hitting us, hitting a spike right now. We didn't know if he would or not, but he is. And so if you don't go all the way there to the Super Bowl this year, I don't know what happens. But if you sign up for him, this is what you have to hope for that a couple of years it's not going to be there. In a couple of years, it is, and when it is, you better do it. I agree, and especially because you're so deep in the playoffs now. Like to lose now, it would just be so heartbreaking. Especially because, you know, like you said, the the health, getting Dalvin Cook back healthy right before the playoffs was like the biggest thing this team needed. Kendricks coming back healthy was the biggest thing. Like teams are never really this healthy. Look at Seattle. Look at Philly. My God, could you have any more guys on IR? Like, they're just two teams that were wallowing in their own tears. We were just like, man, we feel bad for both these guys. Like, now one of them just lost their starting quarterback for the rest of you. Like, that's, that's tough. So when you have a full squad that's, like, ready to go, you got getting guys back that are healthy, that is, like, the momentum your team needs to take you through the playoffs. You have to grab that and be like, listen, for the rest of this time, we are not going to be healthy, so we're going to enjoy this, and we're going to go out and we're play as hard as we can. And I get why people are like, hey, Dalvin, how you feel? That was, a, that was a lot of times you got the ball. Like, man, that looked good, though. Going into this game, these guys are getting healthy, too, and they're getting a week off. So I think that while last week the Saints, in my opinion, almost kind of fell asleep on the Vikings. Like, I feel like they didn't give them enough credit. They were kind of like, well, they're going to come down here Kirk's going to lose it for him, and Dalvin's going to try and do what he does. But instead, they kind of were setting the tempo the whole game. It was Drew that had to come back and win the game. It was him that fumbled. Like There were so many things that was just like, man, these guys were ill-prepared. But I don't think I see that this week with the Niners. And that's why getting the health back on both these teams is going to make this game so fun. Uh, Matthew Collar, Alex Boone here. A couple of minutes left. So I, I thought you summarized that perfectly. And one of the players who made a comment in the media that got blown up a little bit was Cameron Jordan about good Kirk or bad Kirk. Well, 
intermediate Kirk actually showed up. So it's like, what we always talk about, is it good or bad? And it was like, well, it was good. It, it was, was good. well, it was damn good in overtime. And yeah. there were other times, I was like, well, all right. Um, third down throw to Adam Thielen on the out route that set them up for a Delvin touchdown was excellent, Kirk. But it wasn't, it actually wasn't one of the other. Uh, Cameron Jordan, this is the stat that will blow your mind, and I need you to explain how it happened. In the uh, game against the Vikings, he was on the field for 73 plays. Long day at the office for Mr. Jordan. He had a grand total of one quarterback pressure, and that was only on the sack that Cousins took to make sure they didn't turn the ball over or didn't stop the clock. One. That was it. The whole game for Cameron Jordan, who I believe was second or third in the NFL for the entire season for the amount of quarterback pressures that he put on. How did they do that? It's about this uh, Midwestern kid named Brian O'Neill, who is just completely special and super fun to watch. I mean, dude, I think with their defense, there was a few guys that you were like, listen, if you just shut these dudes down, they're not going to get anything going. And and credit Demario Davis for trying to keep his team in. I mean, dude, that hit he hit on Dalvin was probably one of the toughest hits I've ever seen. But when Cam Jordan is stifled all day, you really have nothing. Like the only thing he had was really that like that cheap shot he had on Kirk. Remember that? Where Riley jumped off sides and he came running through oh, the yes. line and took yeah. that cheap shot. Yep. Like number one, like how are you gonna let a dude hit the quarterback like that when the whistles blow? Like I get that you can't maybe hear the whistle, but dude, that's that was a little excessive in my opinion. But when he, that's all he really did the whole game. When you can do that to the one player who just brings life to the defense, like dude, you have no chance. I thought Brian played great. Um He's from Delaware, so he's not a Midwestern kid. Dude, he went to the University of Pitt. <laughs> That's not in the Midwest, Midwest? either. Pitt? Um, Pitt? Yeah. Dude. Pitt is not in the Midwest. Dude, I'm throwing Pitt in the Midwest. Uh, I mean, it's the East Coast. Okay, it would be. It's, no. it's not on the it's coast. It's on the west side of it's Pennsylvania. It's on the west side of Pennsylvania. Bro, but it's Midwest. Okay, it if Midwest. these are the original colonies, maybe. Bro, <laughs> Cleveland is Midwest. <laughs> no. Pittsburgh's Midwest. Oh, yeah, okay. No, I, you know what? I'm no, looking no, it up right no. now. Pitts, I'm looking it up right now. Pittsburgh is not okay. Midwest. We'll see. It's we'll see. just far enough away. It's like four hours oh, it's just east far of Cleveland. It falls under. Pennsylvania is an eastern city. He's not. That's not Midwest. And also, it's Delaware. So Delaware is not Pittsburgh either. That is like right there on the water, I think. So, all right. I'm not a geographer. It's in that ballpark. <laughs> anyway, uh, I will also give anyone in the room, Declan is here and also Jonathan, $100 out of my pocket if you can guess Brian O'Neill's middle name. Anybody. Go ahead. Take, take guess. Throw it out there. Alan. One, Arthur. No, no, go George? ahead. George? Uh, no, Arthur. good tries. His middle name is Cormac. Brian Cormac O'Neill. It's kind of cool. I wouldn't bet $100 if I wasn't sure not that Yelberton. everyone was going to get it wrong. <laughs> it is not, yeah, Y.A. Tittle. Y.A. Tittle. Uh, let's, let's talk to end the show here about the guy that everyone's going to be discussing as we go forward, and that is George Kittle. Mm. The Vikings have been just outstanding against running backs and tight ends during the Mike Zimmer era, and I think that speaks to Eric Hendricks and Anthony Barr. What they did against Jared Cook, for the most part, outside of one drive when the Saints are way down and trying to catch up, or not way down, but you know they're trying to catch up, and right. Cook makes a couple of good plays. But aside from that, Jared Cook, not a major factor in that game. And Elvin Kamara, complete no-show, an incredible job against him. Here comes San Francisco with the best tight end in the NFL and three running backs who can play. How do they repeat that, Alex? I mean, you got to shut down Kittle. No matter what happens, he is the one guy that can start this offense. And he is like, 
Like you look back to even the Falcons game when their offense was like non-existent, right? Like it's like people were like kicking him, like dude, wake up. He was the only one that showed up that day. Like he had, we have like thirteen catches for like one hundred and seventy yards or something. Like he's the one guy that if you shut him down, there. I don't know if they know how to really do this offensive thing because he's the guy that brings the life around. He's the guy. Another one is Uzcheck. If you can shut these two guys down, because they're the ones that do all the hide routes for them. They're the ones that do all the blocking for them. They're the ones that help them on all their reverses. They're the ones that kind of pretend like they're blocking, and the next thing you know, they're running a wheel route. Like You just can't fall asleep on these guys and have to stay with them. But more importantly, you can't let them bully you. You can't let them come out there and play physical with you. Like Here's another guy that I think, like, and I know this might sound crazy, but I think that X matches up really well against Kittle. Like I'm like, man, hmm. there's everybody else on this team, I mean, I get it. Debo's kind of in that middle. Like Emmanuel Sanders is he's quick. I mean he's fast. You don't want to be trying to be handsy with him. But if you had to be handsy with somebody, it would be Kittle. Because he's one of those guys that's gonna try and mess with you as much as he can. He's gonna try and be physical with you. When you're trying to bring him down, he's gonna be punching you in the ribs. Like he's one of these guys that's like, bro, I will bring it if you bring it. And I think X matches up well with that. Who would you give your uh, neck roll to for that game? Which game? The game that they won against the Saints, you know, the one that we've been talking about this whole oh, time. This last game, oh, dude, there's a uh, Delvin. I mean, I think the way that Delvin came out and played was incredible. I think that Brian O'Neill shutting down Cam Jordan was huge. I think the whole line played really well. I was really, really pleased with the way they came out and kind of answered the bell. You know, that you go into a place like that, and sometimes it has nothing to do with anything other than it's just so loud that you're kind of a little dysfunctional off that. Like you're, mm-hmm. you're all off. The timing's kind of off to start the game. If you watch this game, dude, there was really no timing issues. Everybody looked good. Riley jumped off sides one time, but other than that, like they looked really good. And I think that they were going in kind of like, you know what? We need to set the tempo. We need to set the tone of the game. We need to let these guys know that they can't just pick us apart and come after our quarterback. Like They, in my opinion, deserve the biggest neck roll of the week. I think Andrew Sandejo would get it for me because he's never played nickel ever. And after the game, he was the last guy in the entire locker room, and I stayed around to talk to him uh, just to see what he had gone through. And he played all the special teams, all four phases of special teams, and played most of the snaps in nickel corner I mean that that's that's a gritty ass performance right there yeah. to be able Day to do a that. So he gets uh, he gets my neck roll. All right, we're almost there. It's going to be a short week, and you and I will be back together on Thursday. What do you Can't think wait. is the big storyline going into this one? Oh man, uh, who's gonna who's gonna outrun who? I mean, really, who's gonna who's gonna be able to run the ball effectively and scare the other team into something that they don't want to do? And that's. To me, what what's going to be the biggest matchup? You're looking at these teams, man. They match up really well. Like there's, they both do things that could make each other hurt. But at the same time, it's like, man, if either team gets the run game going, they could be dangerous because they both live off this play action. And it's just, how much is everybody going to suck up? How believable is it going to be? Is everyone going to be afraid if someone has to run the ball? I mean, it's just, and not only that, but. When you look at San Fran, there are a lot of misdirection. They like to throw in Debo around the edges, these reverses. They're mm-hmm. getting very creative. That's one thing that I'll say about Kyle. He's extremely yeah. creative, and it'll be fun. Yep, creativity on both sides of the ball is going to be fascinating to watch. I mean, we've got fullbacks. We've got Kubiak Ooh. and Shanahan offenses. What year is it? Defense and running will be the difference. This is great. This is awesome. Love All right, uh, Alex, on Thursday, you and I will get together and we'll go position by position, break it down. There might be some more out routes. We'll see. Uh, do it. We will uh, hand the ball off now to Mackie and Judd with Rami. We'll catch you tomorrow here on Score North. Hi, this is Chris Howard, host of Plugged In with Chris Howard. 
The college football playoff committee made their decision on Sunday, and as much as I loathe the idea of Ohio State losing their way into the college football playoff, I 100% agree with OSU making it in over Bama. Nick Saban citing some hypothetical point spreads to prove his point that the tie deserve a spot in the college football playoffs holds little substance when you consider Bama's best win is over Texas. No, the committee got it right. TCU had a great season with far more ranked wins than Bama and didn't deserve to lose their spot after playing a surging Kansas State in a championship game. And Ohio State, while not playing some of their best ball later in the season, was still 12-0 until they came face-to-face with my Wolverines. While the college football playoff system isn't nowhere near as good as it could be, it's better than what we had. And in a few years, it will be better for all of college football. Hi, this is Chris Howard, host of Plugged In with Chris Howard. Get the latest odds and trends for every professional and amateur league out there. From football to basketball to soccer and esports, we've got it all at BetOnline.net. And if you love sports podcasts, you can find those at BetOnline as well. And don't forget, BetOnline for the NHL, MMA, boxing, and golf. Head to the website today or use your mobile device to learn more. BetOnline, where the game starts.